The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. Also, every month we're going to be giving away any one item to a Patreon backer at the $5 tier or above. Check out patreon.com slash professional casual for more information. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. Welcome back to The Space Between. I am your host, Daddy of the Professional Casual Network, Tim Goldballs France. And joining me tonight, you should recognize both of them. Up here to my right, I have Ben Relaford of the Cartoncast and FancyBat.com. How are that you, That is ben? Blue Balls Ben. Oh, Blue yes. Balls Ben. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm sorry. To go with your Gold Balls. We're going to get a whole get a whole crew together. A complicated of colored balls. Yes, we're going to be the billiards, is what we'll be called. I kind of like that. We could wear bowler hats and carry around pool cues and, and beat up all the mooks. <laughs> that, that's what they do. They get beaten up. That's what mooks are for. That's, that's what they do. Uh, you just walk, side-scroll down a down a street and beat up some mooks. Those were simpler times. Simpler times. Oh, man, the good old days. Uh, over here <laughs> to my other side is uh, Dan. I don't know where I'm on the screen, but hi. You're over right. You're right here. What color are your balls? The place I'm real quick. Oh, uh, Dan bowling balls. Cole. Dan bowling balls. Cole. Ooh. His balls are filled with holes, <laughs> which oh. help you grip them. Uh, <laughs> you can find Dan on a grim podcast, a perilous adventure or big fiction energy, or most of the other shows on this network, because, uh, you know, we have a small pool to pull from. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Uh, we're here for another episode of the boys. Episode two. Uh, proper preparation and planning. Uh, we finished episode one uh, with Daddy Butcher's back. Butcher's back. Daddy home. Daddy's Butcher. home. He's wearing a sweet fucking tracksuit um, in that red and blue. Yeah, right. I mean, Carl Urban just yes. One of my I favorite. Can't we got through a, I know I said this last time, but I can't believe we got through a whole episode without Butcher. Like it felt like a different show. He was literally in it for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole time I was like, where's Butcher? Because he's my one of the reasons I started watching the show when I first last year when it came out was because I really like Carl Urban. It's like a whole TV show with him in it. Sweet. Now just an hour. Is right. that an hour and a half movie at a time. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim, before we start, uh, I'd like to say that I am your comic book. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy who actually read the comic books in preparation for this. So I'm the source of that information. And I'd like to present to you both an out of context moment from the graphic novels to start off to, to start us off. Uh, today's out of context moment is a KGB leader tries to take over Russia using a bunch of soups in a coup. She is killed when she uses a vibrator because Billy Butcher put a bomb in it. <laughs> the best character uh, wow i mean it, amazing at least that that plays a little bit to maybe the uh the muse for how translucent was killed 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't a vibrator, but it did blow up. Connective tissue there, yeah. Yeah. Ass bomb, very good. That makes sense. Um, And it's also sort of a commentary on how gratuitous, both sexually and violent, the graphic novels tend to get. (laughs) We opened up uh, this episode with what happened to Butcher at the end of season one. As we know, he threatened to bullocks that lady. Uh, He called her a dumb bird. Sure he did. (laughs) And then Homelander uh, flew him off. Most likely. He wakes up in a parking lot. As one does. You know, as you do. At this Bad point, Ender. I thought this was going to be like an all butcher episode. I really thought so. What too. happened until yeah. he got caught up with everybody else? It would have uh, worked. Like, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would have taken <laughs> 60 minutes straight of butcher nonsense, calling he, people dumb birds. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up uh, in a parking lot outside, uh, very specifically, Tony Cicero's. Uh, which at the Tony time Cicero's. Was running Endless Pasta Week. Um, it was also in Fort Wayne. And I forget where most of this story takes place. I just assume it's New York City because I, I think that's where City. all superhero yeah. stuff takes place. Where the hell's Fort Wayne? Uh, it's Texas. It's, yeah, that's I, Pennsylvania. Pencil, like. Pennsylvania. It's Pennsylvania, right? Okay. It makes more sense. Like, I Texas. should know this. I live in Pennsylvania. <laughs> it, no, I was thinking you know John the, John Wayne and like Fort something. Or other, I don't know. It's Fort a lot Center of forts. Or something like that. Um, There's too many forts, guys. Uh, it is in New York City in the comics. I can tell you that much. Oh, okay. It's Fort yeah. Wayne. Um, Jeez. This this whole time as he's waking up, as he's coming to, as he's going into Tony Cicero's for their endless pasta week, uh, he's like scrambling to remind himself and remember the details of Becca's house and yeah, his last interaction with remember. him. Anything he can remember. His the last tit- interaction with her? His recollection of her. I don't know, man. Listen, I just fork here. Um, <laughs> he remembers juniper berries and the, the, the color of the house and that there's not a sidewalk out front. Um, and he's just trying to remember all these small details and write them down as quickly as possible. Uh, he yells at the um, the hostess, you know, for some crayons and a piece of paper or whatever so he can write it down. And he does. He gets down, I think it's like seven or eight bullet points um, to help him remember. Something like that. Um, the, the the image of him drawing with crayons at a Tony Cicero's is never going to leave my memory. So great. Is Tony Cicero's an actual like national brand or is it only in the Voidiverse? Vaudiverse. No, no idea. Um, either way, it looked legit. It's no, very funny. Pennsylvania thing. Uh, not to my knowledge. Who would turn down that free advertising though? It's got to exist for real. Um, yeah, it's that or Fresca. <laughs> can I get you a fresca? Um, as he's scrambling to write down what he remembers of his, assume still wife house, the TV starts playing. You know that he might probably be wanted in the murder of uh, the vice president Vought, uh, and then he takes off because you know apparently that's a bad thing that happened. Back at the Haitian King's sweet ass pad, Frenchie is reading the obituary for Agent Rayner who is survived by her husband and two kids. At least it says in the obituary that he's reading. I don't know if that will become important at all or not, but she has extended family. Butcher goes to take off to meet a contact who he kind of gets all bitchy about. And he's like, where are you going? You just got here. Well, I mean, it, it's it's not unwarranted. Like he's been gone while a lot of shit was going down and he just shows up without any explanation. Like he if he's a leader, he's a bad one. Like he's not giving them any information. They're left to their own devices to act independently of him. Not great leadership, but but they follow him. They will do whatever he says. That's true. It's also not out of his character for how they've interacted no. so far. So this is not like, oh, you're peeing in the plan again, Carl. Well, yeah, I fucking that's what I do. <laughs> Why are you surprised? Um, 
apparently they're also all under the impression that he, in fact, uh, did kill Madeline. And he kind of explains to them, it's like, well, no, I didn't. I, I mean, just I, blew her. I, I, when she was dead when yeah. I blew up the house. I love that. Like, yeah. She was already dead when I blew up the house. And they're like, how is that any better? Um, <laughs> Quick side note. I just looked it up. Tony Cicero's is not a real thing, but you can buy a T-shirt or a cup with their logo on it. You can buy a shit ton of the merch yet. that's in the show. You can buy. It's the, not a real thing yet. The Give it time. The, the no longer seen but not forgotten shirt. You can buy the mugs. You can. You, there's a ton of merch for the show. I'd, I would That's love fun. to have like just like a little vaudeverse in my room, just like with all the like little knickknacks that are like pretty cheesy because that's their brand. Yeah. Kind of go great. Um, and it's just it's so good. All of those little, little references. Um, Seriously. Little, little point about Butcher. He plays this in the in the in the show and also in the comics is that it, it's mentioned about him in the comics, at least that he never wastes effort on a thing that's not going to get results. So he keeps them on a need to know basis, not because he's trying to keep things from it, but just because it's unnecessary, you know, like uh, he, he only tells them things when it's going to be useful to tell them things I like, is at least that's how I read it. He's like efficient to a fault. Yeah. I like he, that he, a lot in the, in the comic books, the, the MM tells Huey, he never wastes anything, not even a smile. It's all for the single minded purpose of revenge for his wife, or in this case, trying to get back with his wife, which I honestly think is a little bit weaker, but whatever. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why fuck around with arguing, especially with Huey, about every little fucking thing you're going to do um, yeah. when you can just. Yeah, he, he's kind of whiny. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to follow you. <laughs> so they, they kind of have a little bit of that little power dynamic thing here again. Huey's just kind of like, well, you just got back. Butcher's like, yeah, so I'm the leader. That's what I fucking do. Um, but meanwhile, he doesn't tell them. Like, yeah, I just found myself in the middle of this parking lot and fucking Homelander just dropped me off somewhere. Like what? Like, I get the whole like he doesn't waste time with things that he doesn't think are absolutely necessary. But like, why don't don't you realize that would make things go smoother if you just explain this to the people in your group? Like, they just want to realize that. Yeah, I think he doesn't realize that. I think he has some serious empathy problems, probably. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I, we don't know a lot about his character before Becca and the boys, right? Like we have no idea what his background is. It could be informed by something in his past. Wasn't yeah. he in the CIA or something? Well, he had so worked, he has contacts with them. He had worked with um, that woman before. I can't remember her name. Rainer. Is that her last name? No. Yes. Well, yes, but there was oh, the other, the Mallory. older two. Mallory. You're talking about Mallory. Yeah. Oh, Mallory. Uh, I think in the first episode of this, if uh, I was calling someone Mallory, that wasn't Mallory, but uh, we shoot over to uh, Becca's house. Um, Homelander is playing catch with his little bitch boy son, Ryan. And he tries to convince him to use his powers because obviously if he's Homelander's son, he must have powers, right? What's, what's the shade you're throwing on a child who we've never met? Um, <laughs> Are you calling him a little bitch boy? <laughs> I identify with Butcher. Does he just uh, have those vibes? No, it just, well, yeah, he does. He <laughs> He's has, got bitch boy vibes? super bitch boy vibes. Um, yeah. List me the reasons. <laughs> So let me count the ways. So first off, uh, he's not Butcher's son. And that makes me real mad because it hurts Butcher a lot that it's not his son. And we love I think that's intentional. Well, I think that's intentional because Butcher's whole thing is single minded purpose to kill Homelander or get back at him somehow because he ruined his life because he raped Becca. Mm -hmm. And now that he knows that Becca is alive love for her trying to get back to her. So it's, I think that they're setting up the sun as like, this is the culmination of the things that Homelander did. 
but also Becca's child. So it's going to like force those two. He's going to be caught between his love for Becca and his hatred for Homelander with yep. this kid. I think that's I think they're building to something pretty particular point, with yeah. this kid. It's like a, sure. a physical manifestation of a bitch boy. You're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there, there you go. <laughs> so the Urban this, Dictionary says at this point. Um, and once again, I, I disclosed this in, in uh, the first episode. I read into things way too much and just assume fucking <laughs> off wild things. Is everyone convinced that Ryan is actually Homelander's son? Because he seems really pushovery. I'm thinking he's Homelander's son just because, like, they had mentioned that Becca. I mean, like this this was lot supplied information, so it could totally be wrong. But didn't they say that like the 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 baby that she brought uh, oh, that that yeah. she had was like a super accelerated like birth or something and clawed its way out of her womb or like it was super grisly super power shenanigan kind of birth going on and like that could have been a lie to protect her somehow well yeah. but i yeah. i took it at face value i guess i, I kind of took it as that because that's what quote-unquote killed her or whatever right was that yes so so it might not be accurate yeah but I mean, I guess we don't really know. We're we're as lied to as much as the characters are. Yeah, seriously. Um, that I, I like the kind of being left kept in the dark because Vaught is the one who's supplying all the information, or Butcher is the one supplying all the information, and like they have a lot of reasons not to tell you everything. So like, we don't really know. I, I completely agree. As a viewer, I prefer to experience things as the characters do. I don't want to see some back shady deal or whatever happen sure. off screen. So I know he absolutely has right, um, absolutely. Homelander kind of confronts Becca about Ryan not having his powers and alludes to a deal um, that allows home home homeowner homeowner that allows the homeowner to see his son. Um, my <laughs> assumption here is that the the deal that was made was Billy won't be tracked down by Homelander because as we've seen before, um, it takes Homelander like no time to find people. Um, so is he letting Billy go to get I visitation think so. with the son? I think so. I think the idea is that Becca is protecting Butcher by uh, not by by making this deal with Homelander because it's pretty obvious that Butcher she knows Butcher. She knows that Butcher is going to try to kill Homelander and that Homelander is going to chop his head off when he tries it. So she's she's doing everything she can to keep them separate. And it's it's evidenced by the fact that like the that uh, Queen Maeve is keeping Homelander in the dark about her relationship with uh, Elena. Yeah, because he's jealous. He's a jealous child who throws a tantrum when he doesn't get the toy that the other kid has, which in this case is real human beings because he's a child with the power of a God. Right. So, so I think there's like a lot of there's definitely like, I'm pretty sure that the deal makes sense to me that she's trying to keep butcher safe. Well, in every interaction that we'll see in, especially in this episode and the next between Homelander and Becca, just, I mean, it screams violently. Um, super passive aggressive divorced parents mm. like really bad painfully so oh yeah um we should deliberately yeah very much so uh, and he's it's almost a different take i feel like in the other interactions that we've seen with homelander so far it seems like he's more pragmatic or he realizes what the situation is and what the outcome is be and what the optics are and he makes the the decision for for vaught um his interactions with Becca do not have that at all. It's just fucking straight up just domestic abuser. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. 100%. Like pure and simple. Like and like any domestic abuser, he he threatens those 
he with who are who are going to leave with violence on their loved ones. Mm-hmm. He did it with Maeve. He's gonna do probably would do it with Becca. Yep, one hundred percent. Um, we shoot back over to the deep, and he's talking with Carol in a therapy session. Um, the deep has obviously lost perspective on on what his issues really are and and what the cause of his issues are. Um, frustrated. Oh, I'm sorry. He he drinks the peyote in a second here. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, right. we're not quite there yet. <laughs> my bad. My bad. Go on. Frustrated. Carol pulls uh, Eagle the Archer aside who has just walked into the apartment with uh, like a six pack of Fresca. Um, <laughs> hey, is anyone thirsty? <laughs> uh, aside. Uh, she pulls him aside to explain that the deep is just simply too out of touch. Uh, so this is where the Eagle is like, all right, bro, we need to sit down. We're going to peyote this out. Um, and he makes some tea they, they, out, of, they, out of some shrooms. They put him in a, like a train spotting room. They put him in a, like a detox room yes. to to go <laughs> to, 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 to see babies on ceilings and shit. <laughs> so, he, so he does it to make uh, the deep, you know, kind of see hopefully what's really going on. Um, does anyone want the, the deep to see what's going on or are they kind of done with him at this point? I mean, if they were going to drop him, they should have done it a couple episodes back. Yeah. Like the, the fact that he's still here means something better happened with him because otherwise he's just comedy for comedy's sake. And I don't feel like he really there's they can do better. You know, he's I, going somewhere. I hope I hope it does. I my my concern with him is that he's being built into something that's going to be a massive waste of time. Um, And I hope that's not the case. Well, yeah, I okay. But I also don't necessarily really want to see him redeemed. I don't think well, he's going to be a waste of time. I think it's going to build into something either just for his character or something for the plot in general. I could see him kind of turning on the seven at some point. Like I joked last episode about him being like the main bad guy, but like I could see him kind of joining the boys because of mm. how, how no one takes him seriously on the seven anyway. And, you know, even Things that happen, they just don't take him seriously. Right, because the deep right. is a victim, not a victimizer. Well, th- see, that's the thing. Like, it, bear with me for a second, but like, part of why we don't want to see him redeemed is because he was a victimizer to Starlight in the first season. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it, it could be really powerful to show, like, in the same way that we see the Homelander struggling with some real, like, child trauma pain, even though he's a domestic abuser, you know terrorist essentially um it doesn't erase the fact that he's going through some uh, some a lot like a lot of pain and i i think the humanize the sexual abuser kind of plot with the deep could go somewhere useful it's not inherently problematic to humanize him as long as it doesn't just end up being for comedy's sake i think i said something like this last time the the question is where does he go with this does he come to some genuine catharsis or does he just kind of peter out as like, or, or, or does he become, you know, the, um, you know, I'm really the victim. You should forget about all that stuff I did there and just sympathize with me and no longer with Starlight because I am now the focus. Like it could go some shitty directions. Yeah, I really hope but it could go that way. Yeah, it could go some textured directions, too, though, like just because it, it, he was a shitty person in these ways. It doesn't erase the fact that he's going through real pain and, you know, is is definitely at a rock bottom of sorts. Yeah, I think that's I don't know. Totally I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm I, hopeful. I feel yeah. like I'd be okay with a redemption story where he legitimately understands that what he did was wrong and like actually apologizes for it and tries to to do things better going forward. But still acknowledges that what that he did something 
and not not try to blame. Well, well I did it because no, like no, no, no. I did yeah, it. we don't want it. To I shouldn't it. do it. Right. Like I, I, you know, as long as he can kind of admit that what he did was wrong and and doesn't do it again, or is okay for the story. Yeah. I think it would also be fine if he never kind of got that redemption, but was like, there needs to be a credible narrative, like a a credible character narrative where like, he's clearly just in the wrong. Like, I don't want him to be totally redeemed on paper, but actually he's still a shitty person. Just get away with it. Right. Yeah. Um, it'll come out in the wash though. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of see it being, I guess what I could see is actually a really long, chain of these events um similar to some of the deadpool narratives not i'm not likening deadpool to the deep um but deadpool has had these characterizations in the past where he's always trying to be a good guy um but is regularly put in situations where he kind of has to make the same shitty mistakes that he's always been making um regardless of his want to break out of that habit i could see them going around where that where he constantly is trying to get better but those plans are regularly sideswiped for the plot, the larger plot as a whole. Um, One thing that I really like about them trying to humanize the deep in exclusion to everything else is that when you see like the, the reason is the reason is important when you, when you humanize the villain in a thing, it is not letting you merely dismiss them as evil, right? They are more complex than that. A lot of the time, you can have people in domestic abuse situations or like rape situations where there actually is still love there and it doesn't erase the crime. But like it, it's more complicated than like we, we can't merely dismiss him is the thing. Right. And I feel like that's what a lot of the comedy scenes try to do. So I'm hoping they turn a corner. I just it's a pet peeve of mine to see someone made a bad guy specifically like when they use a, a plot arc of like this guy's bad because he rapes people. We've objectified this woman by making her the target to make this guy evil. And that's the only character development that they get. It's fucking stupid and bullshit. So because he hasn't had much else beside that, I really hope they do something with it, especially with how edgy the show and the comic apparently is. This is the place to actually write one of these stories. Well, and I hope they do it, but I, I don't have a huge amount of faith in that happening here um i would love to be surprised though they uh, at least uh they do better with starlight's portrayal in the show at least because she doesn't like it, it isn't uh it isn't the only thing about her character now is that she has been raped correct. uh it is yep. that it, it is that she that was her awakening moment that oh the world is not gilded the seven are not like like are not pillars of justice mm-hmm. and then she uses that as a way to recon- reconcile her worldview and that is like it has it has had a clear impact, but it wasn't the be all end all. I am now a rape victim and that's all I am. In the story right. like she Correct. It, it informs her character. It doesn't define her character. It is a catalyst for her yeah. progression. It is not her defining moment. That's going to define her for the rest of the series. Exactly. Um, so shooting over, honestly, this to Starfront. She's doing some promos. Um, Starfront. Is that you mean I Starlight, thought? Starlight, and Stormfront? Uh, so Starlight, I'll, I'll forgive you. Starlight, Celebrity couple name. Oh, I mean, there we go. Uh, so Starlight, <laughs> Stormlight uh, does uh, some promos uh, with Stormfront, um, or some promos for Stormfront uh, on a on a media junket, talking about how they're excited to have another woman on the team, um, and it's girl power and all, and all this other bullshit. It's very canned, straightforward. We're a com- corporation doing this because it's going to play well. Um, 
Maeve gets a call and kind of just like takes off. Um, she says it's a family emergency. A family emergency. Bye. Um, <laughs> what? Stormfront is in like, oh, oh yeah, I have a family emergency too. I got to go. Um, yeah, I, I like I like Stormfront a lot here. Yeah, Stormfront is uh, a kind of a, a really needed balance for everything else that's going on, especially within the seven. Well, she's like the new starlight right like starlight had that kind of coming out moment of like i was fucked over this is kind of some bullshit she was sort of the edgy person back in the believe arc in the first season mm-hmm. but now she's sort of drinking the kool-aid and playing the game so this is sort of the the equivalent of that for this season yep um we shoot over to susan rayner's funeral uh service grace uh mallory's there um who we remember from season one it's the lady that brought butcher kind of into the life he's in now um as an anti-vot uh anti-super um rogue agent um she's there's not a lot of people at this particular service uh you see a lot of people in suits a couple kids and and some older folk like that it just seems like it's mostly um work people um as she goes to her car surprise butcher's in the back seat hanging out doing butcher things i love that little bit she's like you really think you can sneak up on me i taught you this move and then he sits up from the back and you're like oh he's in the back seat good job um mallory <laughs> effectively just is not going to deal with this bullshit uh like she did in season one she's like listen back of the church there's literally pews filled with federal agents um that should arrest you for for what you did to uh, the vice president of uh um did I say it right? You did. Oh man, we're getting better. Uh, Butcher kind of dangles a carrot a little bit, being like, "Hey, uh, I know who killed her," and she's like, "You do?" And he's like, "Well, no." It's <laughs> so great, but um, I could figure it out. And uh, in return, you need to help me um, figure out who this renegade uh, telekinetic is, um, and. In response, he he vows to find Susan Rayner's uh, real killer. We do you cut- guys uh do you guys have any knowledge uh like of any knowledge of Mallory in in general like her place in the story? Not really. She was it seemed like kind of the first person to be um sort of started the boys. Yes. Yep. She put the first team together and had, was the first one to be disenfranchised. Uh, by by what Vought was doing and and how soups worked at us as a whole. I think in the story, I don't know if all the lines are connected, but it's almost one to one to the comics where uh, they had beef with the seven and somebody who was formerly in the seven lamplighter torched her grandkids. And then she just was like, I'm fucking done and just walked out. Holy shit. I do believe so. She sounds familiar. I'm pretty. Yeah, they alluded to it, but I don't think they gave all the details. But I think butcher is primarily responsible for that in some ways and that's why they have such beef or at least one of the reasons oh shit like but butcher like went one step too far and the lamplighter retaliated and now they got beef gotcha so like technically they were on the same side but like she can't forgive him so she's actually in a really awkward place for all of this yeah i actually kind of really like that dynamic Um, yes Anyone who can put him in his place is kind of great. <laughs> right. Uh, we cut to one of the best scenes um, probably in the show so far, which is uh, the deep high on mushroom tea. Um, <laughs> so great. Talking to his gills, uh, which is very thankfully, very obviously voiced by Pat Oswald. Yeah, it's just straight Pat Oswald. He's not doing any sort of voice. No. Oh, yeah, it's so just much. Uh, and you don't need anything more. Sometimes vanilla gets the job done. 
Uh, and I really like the way his gills look, by the way, like just uh, yeah. cosmetically on his torso. Like, I think that they, the special, like the, the effects there, like whatever the cosmetics they're using, it looks really good. It's amazing. Yeah. And as, as much as we've talked about humanizing the deep, they actually might be onto something here. This um, works. Yeah, this works on me. This is fact, very sweet. Right. The fact that he um, kind of what they portray is that the reason he acts in a lot of the ways he does is because that he feels like he is being judged and um i don't it's, know it's the grand it's the grand arc of people who are supers were freaks from birth either through how they were treated or how they were designed or whatever they did not have normal lives and so they didn't have normal development um and this is one facet of that is that he felt embarrassed about his body this is a very familiar pain it's easy to empathize with him mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and the gills mr Patton oswald gills himself says you were embarrassed about your body so you violate theirs like he takes it out on women yes he judges them preemptively for judging him even though like it's so incel kind of kind of shit it that really we're is. Here. yeah like it, women don't like me so i hate women and yep. i'm going yeah absolutely yeah it's like again like i said it last episode they touch on some real world issues that are like pretty compelling in this and i think that this is this is kind of one of them subjugation of women because of hating yourself yep. i think that definitely is it, it's easy to empathize with him here so so yeah. we're off to a good start at least we're starting on the right foot with the deep um yeah question to the panel uh if you had a famous actor voicing your deepest insecurity whom would it be and what would they be voicing Dan, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I, I don't like this question. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> uh, I, I, what, what insecurities? I don't have any insecurities. Cool. <laughs> don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, definitely my skinny arms, and I'm I'm caught between either uh, uh, <sighs> Arnold Schwarzenegger or Strong Bad? One of the two. Ooh. <laughs> Strong Bad. I mean, Maybe one, one on each arm so they can have a dialogue. I don't think you can lose there, really. Uh, I would have um, toss up between Alan Tudyk and oh, Jonah choice. Hill um, voicing the fact that my torso is longer relative to my body than my legs are. So like my butt crack and my tummy regularly hang out of t-shirts and I'm constantly terrified that that part of my body is exposed at all times. I always feel like there's a draft on it or something and that one of those things is showing. So um, maybe actually Jonah Hill would voice my stomach and um, Alan Tudyk would voice my ass crack uh, constantly being like, hey, I'm exposed. People can see you. (laughs) Alan Tudyk does feel like an appropriate ass crack. Yeah, you know, cast casting decision. That was that's an inspired choice. It was a fantastic choice. So what about you, Dan? I, I wasn't going to answer that one, but then I thought of something right. Yeah, second. that was good. I feel like honestly, I feel like Danny could answer this question better than me. Fair. <laughs> She'd probably know what. I, honestly, like, how intimate? Greatest insecurities. I don't fucking know. Thanks. Yeah. Like I have maybe Danny can voice your insecurities about answering questions without Danny's permission. <laughs> maybe just maybe just run it back with no. Patton Oswalt voicing your insecurities. Just get him. He's just going to do the circuit of insecure body parts. Yeah, right. Not. Not that I need permission. It's that I think she knows me better than. Sound pretty insecure about the answer, bud. <laughs> <laughs> you make it... uh, uh, anyway, your ass crack showing. 
Moving Get on. Up, subjects. Hot, um, what was that? I was checking my ass crack. You can hear Alan Tudyk. Um, back at the hospital, uh, Maeve walks into her family emergency and it's Elena. Um, Maeve's ex. Uh, she apparently had appendicitis and had left Maeve on as her emergency contact. This kind of continues the plot that started in season one where they're slightly entangled ex-lovers. Um, obviously cannot have a relationship right now, at least on in Maeve's mind. While Elena thinks that, I mean, we obviously care about each other. Why, why can't we just make this work? I don't understand. And there's there's certainly a maybe a confidence gap here um, as far as Maeve is is obviously always withholding um, from Elena and, and why they can't be together. Super straightforward. I think it kind of just reestablishes what had been started in season one and then they kind of move on maybe a little bit. Mm. Love Maeve's character in this. Like, I think that uh, the the whole disaffected by the things that Vought has done, like basically Starlight, if she gets too far down the road of playing Vought's game is yeah. is really well realized. And I the way I read that kind of. I mean, we've realized certain things in this episode that make me maybe make that not entirely true. But like, I always thought a lot of Maeve shying away from Elena was because Vought encouraged her to do it. You know, in the oh. in the same way that like a train uh, probably didn't encourage him dating Popclaw for whatever reason, even though that might have just been him. I, I think that Vought just tried to control their personal lives as well as their like as well as their public lives. And I think that maybe with such a family friendly uh, kind of uh, kind of exposure like uh, like Vought tends to have with Homelander, the idea of a gay couple would not have flown. That's very true. They have that Disney Mickey Mouse Club vibe where they're like, well, you're dating this person because they are in a property which we are also branding. Um, yep. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. The only thing. I get, and maybe this is just a, a shift once Ashley gets involved um, in in the in the role that she's in now, where they're trying to go a little bit more diverse on purpose, which seems positive and scummy at the same time. Which is it's kind scummy. of bots. Um, it's, it's so corporate, though. Like, it makes yeah, sense. yes, yep. We need it's, a one it's of this. Incidental. One of that. Yes. Mm. Yep. The, the 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 progressivism is incidental to making money. Like making money is just the that's the that's the actual goal. Any progress they can make along the way is is a happy accident. But like, it is it is tinged with kind of, it, it is gross. You are correct. Yeah. And and we pretty much lead right into that. Um, Stormfront and Starlight um, doing continuing their press junket. Um, literally bombarded for hours with the same kind of gender bias questions Ugh. of like, why can women get it done? Why can you do this? Why is it so great that there's another woman on the team? Do you feel like you finally have a friend? Um, Stormfront kind of calls it bullshit after a while and kind of stakes Starlight back a little bit. And she's like, Oh, okay. We can say stuff like that. I mean, I think Ben, you've, said it very perfectly earlier. Um, Maeve is Starlight if she continues down the path she's on and Stormfront is the path Starlight could very much have been on at any point and it's really not too late for her to do. Um, the, um, so uh, one one thing about the uh, the fact that they're like kind of shilling for this girl power vibe, um, Maeve in the first season commented to Starlight when she was getting a lot of good press because she came out as a, a rape victim. Um, kind of kind of you know goading her saying like you're really milking this thing for all it's worth aren't you like she now sees it as a commodification of what has happened to starlight yep. like you can tell that like a lot of that uh 
exploitative uh, facets of Vought has really sunken into her. And it, 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 it just keeps happening. Like every time we look at Vought, they're just exploiting the superheroes, whether it's for a good cause or not, whether it's female empowerment or diversity. Every time it just keeps happening. Yeah. I, I still don't get why Vought is pushing for Stormfront. Because, like, I still don't think that she's good for their image if she just constantly mouths off to cameras. Like, how much does Portland really, like, is it really that important to make nice with Portland? <laughs> my I feel like they could have chosen someone better. My assumption, because she was introduced, like, Facebook living or, or Instagram living or whatever, that was that she was supposed to be more relevant to the youth. She's from kind of a hip area. She's, yeah. she's on That's the true. internet. She, you know, she is counterculture like is. and punk. Yeah, exactly. And that they're going for that kind of gambit. Um, that makes sense. During uh, one of the junkets, um, one of the hosts asked Starlight uh, what the status of A-Train is. She kind of gives what ha- Homelander would give, which is kind of a non-committal, canned answer, uh, but is surprised when the host kind of pulls like a Maury Povich, like Jerry Springer thing. Well, A-Train's actually here and he's right behind you. In comes fucking A-Train, who's apparently awake. Uh Yeah. Well, I was watching this. Yeah. I, I literally went, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, I was like, I was oh, like, shit. What? Is this a clone? Is this? Well, he's clearly burning. The, this, he's clearly burning the candle at both ends, right? Like, yeah. he'd been pumping so much compound V into him to keep himself upright. And that caused a heart attack. And there's no way he's back up unless he started pounding compound, compound V again. Yeah. Like, there's just no way. He went immediately right back on the on the wagon. Right. I did not expect him to come out this I, soon in the season. Not like zero warning like boom there he is and it was like oh shit (laughs) um and starlight reacts honestly very similar to probably the audience does she's like oh fuck yeah um and her demeanor oh we had more time very quickly um she was not good this scene immediately goes into kind of a party scene which kind of assumed it's in AJ's a train's like quarters or something like that. Cause his Seemed stuff like is there. It, yeah. He's using a, a famous guitar or whatever. Um, and she kind of walks up to him and does that super awkward. Like it's so good. I'm trying to figure out if you remember anything. Do you have amnesia? Do you remember kind of how I laid you out or whatever? Uh, they did such a nice job with that where the as the audience, we didn't know like the way he was answering questions was like, yes, and he seemed like friendly with her. And it was like, did he forget everything? Cause that would be pretty awesome for starlight. And then he was like, Oh yeah. And then you traded and then you let your boyfriend get away. Right. Oh like, no. Casual like- mention, just the casual mention of it. Like this is all very like James Bond and the femme fatale at a dance at like a public event, like whispering yes. secrets to each other and trying not to break their smiles, you know, in the like, casino, don't, uh, at the don't break table. Yes. It's very good. It's so I love the cloak and dagger kind of espionage dialogue aspect of it all. Um, do we think at this point a train has spilled the beans to anybody else? I don't think like he's got just as much to lose, right? Like uh, like he he's still like on the V horse such as it is. <laughs> yeah, I like he's like feeling out the situation. Like, I think yeah, they're both going back to work. He went to those the the press conference things and he's kind of feeling it out to see like how can i get the most out of this his story has been one of uh denial right from the kind of from the beginning like he he realizes that he might not be the fastest person anymore denies it he pushes harder on the v he you know thinks that uh things might be going bad he's suffering repercussions he denies it no i'm fine i just need to get back to training so 
it does fit with his character. Yeah. Um, we shoot back over to Clarkson Ave. Um, Butcher's filling everyone in on if they catch the telekinetic, Mallory is going to have the CIA scrub their record. Um, everyone. Does anyone, believe, does anyone believe Butcher at this point? Um, personally, I did. I assumed that that was the case. Um, he's just been, he's lied about that last time, right? To MM's face, right? He got called out on it. It's like, you, you didn't actually try to make the deal like we said you were going to. And. I, guess, I don't know. I, I don't buy anything he says anymore. That's that's fair. But I, I'm a victim for abusers. So I was just like, well, he lied last time. He he wouldn't lie again. I think he learned his lesson. Yeah, I think he's looking right presidential up there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we shoot back over once again to the deep and his gills and him continue to make uh, progress. Apparently, the deep's name is fucking Kevin, um, <laughs> I which I don't great. have anything against. <laughs> he Kevin, looks like a like, goddamn Kevin. Oh, yeah. It just it fits so well. It does. Ah, oh, you. Yeah. Kevin. You've always been a Kevin, haven't you? Kevin. Um, <laughs> we have a follow-up to one of the greatest scenes, which was when Pat Oswald first started voicing his gills, uh, which is now Pat Oswald serenading the deep, yeah. uh, singing as his guild, you are so beautiful until the point where the deep makes some progress and, and joins in, does a duet with his gills talking about how beautiful he really is and how he could make it in this world. There's been a lot of talk between the deep and, uh, his gills about finger banging that one chick. Yes. Uh, the deep ever going to finger bang his own gills, especially now that they're personified. Oh, uh, does not on screen, please. When that one girl did to him in season. Let's one, be honest. I was like, oh, 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 like it was so, oh, like is that the he has to break spine, to heal like, is to oh. finger his own gills. And then it's, he can it's purposely visceral though. Cause he, he sexually abused starlight and then they go around and him make him the victim of, I think that I can consider that sexual abuse. Like she's totally running the show. She's putting him in pain for her own sexual gratification. Yeah. It clearly yep. hurt. Like that's I, I think that they were deliberately flipping the script and making him see kind of part of what he did. Yes. So I think he, in all honesty, I think he would associate finger banging his own gills, not as a potential source of pleasure because it was a cause of trauma. Yeah. That's just my take. <laughs> I no. thought too much about this, this aspect of his character. <laughs> I So I forgot that he uh, he got fingered a little bit in season one. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, abusers abusing, you know, abusers make abusers. It makes sense. I like to think of that whole scene that that whole scene bothered me so much because like it's it's what you're witnessing on the screen is a sexual assault of sorts and it's played for comedy like everything in the deep story is well and uh it, it was a man being sexually assaulted so yes yeah, oh so it was okay no you're yeah. right so it yeah. was okay yeah. yeah it's not sexual assault if it happens to a man obviously i i did forget the i forgot the Come on, rules. my bad you my gotta, bad my bad you got to remember the three uh rules of abuse in in media and that's physical abuse on men is normally slapstick and funny emotional abuse uh on men doesn't exist and neither does sexual abuse in any case so <laughs> moving on yeah um, uh, yeah really facetious there so, starlight uh tries to tell stormfront uh that she's you know also cool and shops at hot topic i can be hip i can be with it <laughs> I, I had a chain wallet when i was at christian camp um but <laughs> stormfront i used to have a pair of parachute pants when i was I listened to mindless self-indulgence. I thought that they were pretty mindful of it, actually. Um, but Stormfront isn't having any of it. She's just like, yeah. Is this the scene where she says, if someone puts a dick in your mouth, you bite it off? No. Oh, dang it. Really? I thought bit. it was. I thought, I thought that was that was. One. Was it later when they, they have another talk? I believe it was. 
That moment is timeless, I think you'll find. It's a great line. Maybe it is. Maybe this is the Pippi Longstocking conversation, but I thought that uh, this is where Stormfront kind of accuses her of being like a double agent. It's like, ah, Vought, have you come over here? As someone who knows what Pippi Longstocking is, I I really like the really obscure call, like like point of reference. Seriously, very obscure. It was really good, though. I, I really liked it. I totally forgot Pippi Longstocking was like, Super like she could lift a horse. Yeah, she uh, she cleaned her house every Thursday and broke it down and remade it every Friday. <laughs> Holy shit. I got really fixated on that detail as a kid. It's like, that's not efficient at all. Pippi, <laughs> Pippi Longstocking. It's, it's impressive, but, but why? Yeah. you're wasting a lot you need of time. A, you need a day planner. You need you need someone at Vought keeping your schedules for real. So Stormfront <laughs> takes off. Um, enter Gecko. Now, you know, slightly less eyes. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he fucking did it. Like, very nonchalantly, just like, uh, fuck, here it is, I did it. Don't fucking ever ask me for a favor again. Don't ever fucking threaten me or blackmail me again. You're a piece of shit. I'm We're out done. of the show. I'm out of this show. Yeah, Forget right. it. Uh, unfortunately. Um, I peaked too early. And uh, <laughs> he gives it to her in a pretty conspicuous way. What's yeah, the opposite that, of conspicuous? Yeah, oh, not conspicuous is the opposite. Oh, yeah. It was right. a really yeah. conspicuous way. It's in like mm-hmm. a little pink zip-up pencil case with uh, tampons in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Women don't have pockets. I don't know if you knew this. This is the thing. Um, I love that little line where I do too. Stormfront brought it up. She was like, we don't even have pockets in these damn things. It's like she had her bag with her. <laughs> it's just like every, you know, you think of like 80s or 90s superheroes. They're festooned with pouches and things. Not women, though. Just cable. It was typically the men, true. Um, But I just, that juxtaposition to here where, like, Starlight is essentially wearing a bathing suit. Yeah. And thigh-high boots. Um, And yet, they're constantly bringing up women empowerment. Like, these two things being at odds is not a problem for Vought. Like, one is the image, and one is in practice. And they, they, they need not to be the same thing. Like, in actuality, they don't want women empowered because it's bad for their image. But they want the appearance of empowering women. Mm, Correct. Sex sure. sells, but sexualizing or sexualize, sexualizing, sexualizing women is bad. So we're going to have a sexualized woman talk about how sexualizing is bad. Um, yep. If you just don't acknowledge it, then it's not happening, right? It's actually right. like a really nice, complex picture of the kind of corporation Vought is. You know, yeah. selling the image of family values and being progressive while adhering to none of it. Um. And I really like how Gecko is kind of like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Like, fucking hide it. He, he found, figured out a way to threaten her back. Like, if you do this ever again, then I'll expose you exposing me kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Cut off his own head and hide it under her bed like Godfather. <laughs> Someone no? keeps putting dicks in my mailbox. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, Starlight hides the compound V in her boot, um, but gets noticed by A-Train. Uh, she slips it kind of, and it, it's really kind of nice how this happens. As A-Train comes up, she kind of like moves away a little bit behind a chair um, that has Stormfront's bag on it. Um, they have this talk. A-Train searches her. And at this point, I'm like, uh, all right, she's fucked. Yeah, I thought she was caught for sure. Yep. Um, but she apparently like she's- any. I really like any moment that they show A-Train moving at super speed from the normal person's perspective. Like that always yeah. just looks super cool to me. Like the the immediate cert in the first season with Popclaw and the and the heroin overdose and whatnot. Just like watching the super speed thing happen in the background is always like really well realized in this medium. Yeah, 
I, I like. I appreciate I that it doesn't always come into the scene backwards like Quicksilver does in eight Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> yeah, that's really? one. Like he always like turns at the end and he like like he comes into the room like backwards practically. It's really strange. No, uh, actually, Quicksilver superpowers. He can only move at super speed when he's tapping on someone's shoulder on the opposite side that he intends to talk to them on. <laughs> uh, so that's why he has to do that. What a dick. <laughs> um. Uh, we cut back to Becca dropping off Ryan at a piano lesson. Um, and like as soon as she's in, uh, yeah, as soon as uh, Ryan's inside, she fucking floors it. Um, we have this kind of weird cut where we keep cutting back to Homelander being a real fucking creeper, sexualizing the milk in the fridge once again. Oh, uh, yeah, he smells like, like he. We- we gotta That's stop so with weird. This. We gotta stop with this milk thing. Like this is yeah. gonna kill me <laughs> if it keeps um, happening the whole season. <laughs> I'm for it. So uh, my plan for the promos for each one of these episode releases is hopefully having some image of Homelander sexualizing milk. Oh my god! Um, Can we have him as like an? Can't, have you seen me on a milk carton sticker? <laughs> is the first one just gonna be him licking the milk in the in the bottle? It's so oh, good. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to see those. It's really good. But, uh, and he's just being a real fucking creeper, going through her shit, going through her underwear drawer, looking through her Smelling stuff, her clothes. Smelling her clothes. Like, what is wrong with this guy? And in her, one of her drawers, in her uh, chest of drawers or whatever, he like pops up the bottom and finds this hidden picture of he knew her. knew there was a false bottom somehow. Well, he's Homelander. He can see through. He's got x-ray I think he's got vision. x-ray. Oh, he does yeah. have x-ray vision. I, I he can't see through that. zinc, right? Correct. Yep. Is that his yeah. weakness? Because that's what they put Translucent's body in. It was a box with lined with zinc or something because he couldn't see through it. Um, it's like uh, Superman can't see through lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same uh, idea. That's why his nemesis was Mechanical Pencil Man. God. I think you'll find that uh, <laughs> that those were graphite. And he was oh, taken down. Fuck. He was, take, he was d- taken down rather quickly. Shit. You're right. Fuck. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> Wrong show. Yeah, it is. Uh, anyone else after that picture showing that Becca still obviously holds some feelings for Butcher that Ryan might be Butcher's kid or is it still just me? Still just you, man. I wasn't thinking Ryan was Butcher's kid at all. Okay, cool. Anyway, so Becca <laughs> pulls up to uh, Dr. Park's yeah, office. I, I assume that she was racing home. Because I don't know. She I thought she was like trying to get away from that situation, like just leaving. Or she didn't want Homelander to know that he was there or something. I don't know. I was just like, where is she? Got she getting out of there? But uh, it's, it's got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Dr. Park's office, which is one of the, the doctors that was prevalent in, um, you know, test tube babying uh, Homelander into existence. Wasn't this, this was a deal in the first season where she uh, agrees to sign the NDA from Vought to get her removed and, and so that Homelander never finds out about it. And she and they save her life by extracting this super child, this ultra Phoenix. Yes. Um, um, I had forgotten yeah. exactly what the deal was. So yeah, I had forgotten that whole thing. I was like, where is she? What's happening? What's this? Yeah. Big I think it could have used a little bit more letterboxing to make it clear to the audience. Yeah. Um, After they talked about it, it was like, oh, OK, I guess that makes sense. Well, and Dr. Parks just kind of tells her to fuck off. It's like, listen, your best case scenario is Homelander getting bored and moving on. But cat's out of the bag. He knows we can't really do anything about it, and we don't really want to fuck it up. So what is it? we don't want to aggravate him further. Yeah, I'm pretty sure is their line. Yeah. And she's like, Are you, "This is my life. Like, what the fuck?" Yeah, like the deal that she made was on paper that they don't adhere to. Like they they are not bound by laws in the way that would be, you know, that 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 normal people abide by. They're playing with a different rule set. Yep, one hundred percent. We shoot back over to Maeve and uh, Elena. 
uh, continuing their exes but not exes uh, kind of deal. Maeve actually comes clean uh, a little bit on why she wants to keep her love interest a secret. Um, and I actually thought this was a, a really good part for Maeve. Um, she tells Elena that, you know, at a previous point, I don't even think it was a real relationship or something, but something in the media had come out that she had had um, or she was involved with this with this other person. Homelander. It's just that she talked to somebody at a party for yeah. like two hours. Like it is. It, it was so tangential. Like there was nothing to it. Um, but yeah, just that suspicion. <laughs> like, yeah, just that, that suspicion. Guy? leads home he's just like a jealous husband like but he has laser vision so he just commits murder whenever so like he kills the person that she was talking to but he's not even Um, in a relationship with Maeve not really they they do have a relationship that he holds sacred like kind of like you know like they had that in the first season where it's like you're the only one who gets me Maeve like they had that kind of moment so it may not be a relationship in the romantic sense, but like there's something special about their, like they're the only ones who really understand each other in that way. Right. I think, and the idea of losing that again, all he does is respond to grief, uh, makes him fly into a homicidal rage. So to your point, Tim, yeah, like I buy the logic here. Um, and I do think Maven Homelander had some form of romantic relationship because I feel like there was a scene in season. Yeah, they did. I think they did where he kind of like tries to like rekindle and it's like, hey, what for old time's sake type she's like no deal. Um so for the most part, I completely sided with Elena up until this point. I don't not side with her now. I think they both have very valid points. Yes. Um, but this is something that Part of me wants to say, maybe you really should have fucking spoken up sooner. Probably. But I don't know if that would have changed anything. I'll, I'll be honest. I also doubt that it's the only reason. Like, I still yeah. think that she was discouraged from bringing a homosexual arrangement, like a like a like a homoerotic relationship into the Vought family, yeah. like public family. Like, I think that was probably still something that she was told not to pursue and that she just kind of went along with it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Homelander is still hanging out with Ryan, gives him a V phone, <laughs> which is <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, that's good. When they were, had been playing catch earlier, it was a weird aside. Homelander goes off on this story about how his dad had the home run ball from 1954 or some stupid shit. And it, it hit a little weird then, but he kind of comes clean about it now. He's just like, I uh, made it up. I made it up. My dad didn't have that ball or we never played catch or I don't have a dad. Anyway, uh, here's a phone. Um, yep. he, word for word. Yeah. I mean, we yep, you, you got it. Here. So, uh, <laughs> he was in the room with me for a second. He uh, <laughs> has this really cool scene. I like this a lot. That was like a. I mean. It was a fucking Darth Vader scene. He's trying to convince his son. It's like, dude, we're fucking gods. We're better than literally everybody else. Just use your powers. We'll be unstoppable. And I really like, once again, the actor that plays Homelander. Fucking love him. Um, Because you can tell he won't say these words to many people. This is something that he obviously keeps a little bit secret that he thinks that he's this God person because he knows how people would respond to that. But this is his son and they are both gods. They could fuck up the entire world they could be completely unstoppable and right. you use the two of them you believe that he believes this um he portrays it very well ryan doesn't respond great 
doesn't really roll his eyes or anything, but just is like a, uh, okay, I'm going to go. It's time to go to bed now. Yeah, it's so getting good. late. You should go home. <laughs> Becca's waiting outside for him as he leaves. There's also this weird, awkward, like, I love you, Ryan. Ryan doesn't really respond. You can He's say like, that back. You can say that back and just kind of like lingers there waiting for it. I love you too. Like and, mm-hmm. kid did a great job of being sounding just so like, okay, I have to say this. Yeah. Um, this, this whole interaction is so good just cause like it, like, first of all, it really like cements the whole God complex. It's lonely at the top philosophy that Homelander has, especially cause now he like, think back to his relationships. The one with Madeline, that was a normal human. She lied to him. He now no longer trusts humans at all. He's got the relationship with Maeve. Like he doesn't have anyone else. This is his last hope to connect to someone, to be able to relate to anyone. Um, so he he's placing all his hopes in this one basket and he's desperate. Like the whole you can say it back thing. That's not a thing that any person would say if they had patience and didn't feel desperate to get that reassurance immediately. But he reads as more of a child than Ryan does because he can't leave the room without hearing it back. Like he needs that validation mm-hmm. and just. Anthony Starr just sells it so fucking well. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. Um, he he leaves the room after that fucking painful exchange, and Becca's waiting outside, and effectively tells him, "You need to fucking leave. You need to get out of here. You need to not come back anymore. This is bullshit. This is stupid. You need to just fucking get out." Um, and they kind of have this back and forth, and and Homelander kind of unfortunately continues this. Mean nothing to me. I rifle through your clothes. I sniff your milk. This is you are you are not a person to me, and I am not listening to you. And that's the end of it. And he, <laughs> more or less, yeah. And he almost kind of tries to turn it around on her, like he's he's going back to that. He has powers. He's special. He's a god. And you've been lying to him his entire life, and you've kept him in this box. This is your fault. When when it's everything father. falls out, it's your fault. Um. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right back to his own his own upbringing. Like he grew up without a father. He knows how bad it can be. And he's scared like superficially. He's scared for Ryan. But really, he's just kind of he wants to he wants to be the kind of he wants to be a a fatherly figure to kind of fill that void to 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 get some semblance of a, a loving family in here, even if it's totally fake. Well, and I guess that's. You bring up a really good point. Uh, initially, I'd assumed that his longing for family was super selfish, but he could also identify with Ryan, especially with those words, you know, you're you're keeping him here, locked away, protecting him. Um, maybe he sees a lot of the same situation that happened to him. No father figure, kind of sheltered away, no human interaction, not able to go out and have friends and do this stuff. Um, and, and he probably personifies what happened to him is with what's happening to Ryan. Mm. Um, it makes me wonder how Becca would break the news to him when his powers started developing. Cause remember starlight had that whole revelation with her powers and like, she was kept in the dark as a child about how they actually manifested. I wonder how like Becca would like, I, I got good, good vibes from Becca. Mostly. I feel like she'd be straight up with him. We've seen but, nothing uh, thus far that would make yeah. us assume that. But I, I do, I do kind of wonder if, uh, if that would be, if there's a kernel of truth to what he's saying is that like, listen to, you you can't raise him as a normal kid because he's not. Right. Um, we uh, catch back up with the boys. Um, we're getting ready to raid a warehouse where um, Mallory has told them where the telekinetic is. Um, 
which leads them. I, I thought this was going to be a more traditional warehouse. It's just like the back side, like the delivery portion of like a, a mall. And they're in like a party zone, parties, party store. So great. Um, Spencer's gift. And Love it is, it is so fucking good a- as they are slowly moving through this area. There's like knockoff dog costume versions of Homelander so and Starlight and the deep. And I, it, there's, it's so good. The, <laughs> the marketing and shit that they have for the show is so fucking good. All these little world building, um, Elements. to be right and, yeah because because it's an industry like they yeah. sell it every opportunity they get that that one panning shot in the first season where they look around and all the billboards are different bought properties yeah yep this um, is the same thing and was this in the comics at all that that kind of constant um self no marketing? <laughs> i not not really like you did get the you still got the feeling like vaught was the ones who were holding all the power because uh, they constantly talked about like contracts as opposed to talking about like actual super heroics that they needed to do. So like it was still very clearly a uh, an economic force, but you didn't see as much of the world building um, in the comics. O- of course, that could be partly because the superheroes in the comics are a lot fucking weirder, like because Stormlight or St- Storm uh, Stormlight, geez, uh, Stormfront was a straight up Nazi in the comics. They also had superheroes like the Blarney Cock. Uh, <laughs> or one guy who's dressed like a rabbi and he casts spells by saying words backwards, but on the only thing he shouts are homophobic slurs. Like, <laughs> like maybe they just, uh, they're not as marketable as these guys. God. That's ridiculous and amazing. Oh, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> I, I do like how they portray it in the show. It's, it's, this is very, very good world building. I'm blown away by it. Sneaking through uh, Party City, Kamiko sees a man from her past, someone from the, the Shining Light Liberation Army, and just fucking jumps in there and snaps his fucking neck. I was like, what? Is- yeah. I thought she like, saw somebody she knew that... Oh, uh, had- she did. Like, the way she moved at first, I thought she was like going to give him a hug or whatever, then just, just like snapped, ripped his head off. Like, whoa, what is happening? Um, She... Turns a corner and uh, from at the top of one of the the whatever merch stacks sees the dude that we saw from the docks. And it's her fucking brother. Like, wait, what? So she jumps down. It looks like maybe a little bit that oh, she's going to attack him or whatever. There was definitely that him. suspense. Like, what's yeah. going to happen? She's going to go after him. And then she like lunges at him into this hug. And it was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Um, a minute to figure it all out as well it's this great little reunion scene uh huey sees what's going on runs around the corner because butcher's setting up a shot to trank him um it's like it's her brother it's her brother don't fucking shoot don't shoot butcher completely ignores this of course he shoots anyway and goes to take the shot but you know i don't think he's wrong in trying to shoot like this person with telekinesis like maybe i don't know like i feel like sedating him first and then like Talking about it later might, might be the good idea. I don't know. Maybe it's, that's just me. Did they say something about it being a... You just said it was a trank? It yeah. is a trank. It was a halothene, ha- 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 yes. something like that. Uh, which is normally... Um, it's a gas, right? I believe. Yeah. I, it, it read to me as some trank name yeah i didn't know, i didn't know whether or not but it's the, they took the point of saying that they put in the mask to put you to sleep before surgery so i'm not sure what the big deal was like like if butchered shot him with that it would have been that big of a deal 
and they could have talked things out instead essentially of tackles him and then yeah everything goes crazy because he you know the guy he's legit he's under attack so yeah. he fights back smashes him all with his telekinesis and whatnot and it's like i don't know i feel like if huey hadn't hadn't done that and butcher headshot him with a tranquilizer then they could have been like no this is this guy's it's her brother like once he's up let's figure something out yeah you're not wrong thing. no that's that, that's that a is, good point if the that worst is thing true. that was happen he was just going to go to sleep and then wake up slightly groggy like obviously versus, he would have been pissed off when he woke up but he would have woken up slowly probably it's not like he's going to be right back into it and then attack everybody right. and they could have discussed it i don't think that, that, that would have gone well for anybody cuz butcher just would have been like no I want to see my wife again. We're, we're getting this guy. Right. I think it's in, in character and pragmatic for butcher to take the shot anyway. Yeah. Devil's advocate. Uh, when he, he does run off and they kind of like have it out. They're like, why did, why did you fuck up my shot? And Frenchie kind of says, uh, like, listen, Kimiko is one of us. Like, yeah, like there's that. so many people, all these people who've been fucked over by Vought. She's one of us. We deserve, we owe her better than to just, trank her brother without her okay like clearly they've got some shit to work out clearly we want to do right by her maybe the right thing isn't by ambushing her brother and just hoping it works out afterwards maybe we should have like opened with a softer cell so i get the point i still think you probably should just trank the guy like he's got superpowers just don't fuck with don't fuck with superpowers is the tagline of the boys just don't fuck (laughs) just don't fuck around with superpowers well and and up until this point too kamiko has known that this has been her brother because she's been trying to communicate with frenchie that yeah yeah in fact the word boy over and over again but um but yeah so he takes the shot he misses they take off he throws um you know the kenji who's Kamiko's brother uh, hurls the fury of a thousand spirit Halloween stores at Frenchie butcher and Huey. Um, they have the fight and we, we, uh, we shoot back over to Starlight and Stormfront. They've kind of just ended their, their press junket day here. They kind of bring up the conversation from earlier, except now Stormfront is kind of trying to relate to Starlight a little bit tells her, you know, you need to be yourself. Sometimes that's being a bitch. Be like Pippi Longstocking, who if someone put a dick in Pippi Longstocking's mouth, she'd fucking bite it off. Here it is. Don't be the victim. Be was, the hero. I thought she was a plant when she said that. I thought she was a bot plant to try to catch Starlight. I was like, hi, you aren't drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> Starlight, when Stormfront turns away, does secure uh, the compound V from her bag. I thought that was going to be a much bigger part. It's just boop, she got it. Yeah, she's just oh, got it. All yeah, right, and she turned Sweet. around. Quest complete. Moving on. Um, so two, they're they've already got the the fucking compound that they were trying to get for the total mission. Like, where's this gonna go? Like, right. there's a lot more. There's a lot more plot. <laughs> we're on episode two. I mean, I was pretty certain there was gonna be six more episodes or whatever. But right. I mean, like the, maybe they'll the, save the day pretty early, and the rest is just them leaving a really good life. Like the first twenty minutes of Endgame. Spoiler alert: If you haven't watched Endgame, where Thor fucking chops Thanos' head off, and I was like, "Wait, what? What's the rest of the movie gonna be about?" Oh, done and done. That was easy. I thought you were gonna talk about the real important part uh, in the first twenty minutes of Endgame, which is where um, Hawkeye's wife one hundred percent deserves to die because uh, she gives two options for hot dog toppings, and that's mustard or mayo. Ketchup isn't even on the menu. She got dusted for a reason. It was kind of like I like both of those things on a hot dog, but to not even give ketchup as an answer yeah. as a as a possible answer. I feel like so. relish is the only the only thing 
for relish to be put on is a hot dog. So how is that not on the list of potential toppings? So nobody actually like, likes if relish. Not there, if not there, then where? I mean, listen to Elite Eight Showdown's uh, hot dog condiment episode, <laughs> and you will find all about neon pickle relish, which actually sounds pretty legit. But where were we? Back we're at, at the, the party, party store. store. <laughs> Butcher, this is so. This is where Butcher and Huey get into the leadership thing. They fucking fight because they're both bitches. Um, <gasps> Did you just call Butcher a bitch? Well, yeah, Billy the Butcher bitch. Billy Butcher's bitches. <laughs> both does roll off the tongue yeah but yeah but this time they kind of side with huey a little bit more because you know like hey we don't do like kimiko's one of us we don't want to do wrong by her let's like have have a little heart here i have a little heart butcher we start to see a shift within the ranks butcher lets the gang know that he knows becky is alive becca's alive um and i think that this is kind of an important butcher moment because he immediately notices that the people that have always sided with him very blindly, regardless of how many times he lies with them are maybe shifting away a little bit. So this is the time to actually tell them information to make them sympathize with them. Yep. Uh, Yep. I read that as not because he's emotionally vulnerable in this moment or anything like that. It is calculated. He was sitting on this for the precise moment when it would do the most effect. And this is it. Well, and just from what you mentioned in the last episode too, about the butcher doesn't even waste a smile. If it's not furthering his, uh, his agenda. Um, I mean, it completely fits here. Um, yeah, I, I really like that. But he sells it, too. He sells it to make you think that, like, he's, yeah, he's a, I'm a decent bloke, love. He, he let's, uh, let's try one on then, shall we? Uh, he lets them know that Homelander's uh, Becca's baby daddy um, and that the deal he made with Mallory is to find Becca, not to clear their names. Kenji and Kamiko have gotten away i guess a little bit at this point they're swinging on some swings having a moment to catch up kimiko speaking in some form of sign language certainly doesn't seem like american sign language which would make sense i suppose and we see that the compound v uh that she was being pumped with is what had made her feral which i guess we've known from season one and kenji was given the same stuff and they kind of have this moment where they're talking about how kind of some of the experiments and and the injections and stuff were insanely painful and it kind of made their life fucking awful um and we get a little bit more development on the fact that had these two not been in that situation together they probably wouldn't have made it out um be it physically or mentally yeah it, it also makes sense that since they figured out that it worked on one of the siblings that they try it with the other one because something that they don't really go into a lot of detail is the casualty rating of people who get injected with v if you don't do it as a baby like from the comics like Nine nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, it's just birth defects and cancer and and like cleft cleft like just palettes. just cleft palates, you know, hair lips, like just tumors, all crazy bad stuff. And then like one time in a thousand, you get a superpower that just isn't actually that great, unless you have like good genetic engineering to get like the primo mix. It's like not worth your time. So I think like the idea that they injected it into an adult and it hey it worked out well. The gene combo must be pretty good. Let's try the let's inject it into the brother too. So well, that's how I read it, but that yeah, might <laughs> might I mean, have been, been accidental. So this is actually a really touching moment, and to me, that signals something bad's going to happen. Yeah. So oh yeah, he ain't going to make it out. He's not on the <laughs> right. he's not on the cover. Yeah. So I, I assume Kenji is is either going to fuck with us emotionally. He's going to be some type of plant, or he's just going to be killed like in like four minutes. Ben, you had brought up a good point too that. They kept calling him a terrorist 
whenever they talk to him as effectively since they saw him on the CCTV footage. I saw him running away from like a boat, like a, like a smuggling gone wrong, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think that they, they like Vought has labeled him a terrorist because someone visibly with superpowers causing collateral damage. Well, that's a really good Patsy. You know, that's a, that's a good scapegoat. Um, it's kind of like the same thing with the from the first episode. It's like, this is a really good opportunity to, for Vought to kind of shine. Yeah. Um, so they just, label him a super terrorist but really all he did was like escape a boat scene right like he hasn't gone around doing anything else has he no not as far as we're aware i don't believe so um and i guess i took the terrorist thing as more of a the only reason there are supers in any other part of the world is specifically because homelander was trying to make international terrorists for them to fight so maybe that was part of it as well as just like oh well he's from another place that vaught didn't inject directly so he's obviously a terrorist um it's like uh it's like in um oh fuck what was that movie it's like in mystery men when the main superhero guy lets out casanova frankenstein because he can't fight any good supervillains anymore <laughs> so he lets him out of prison movie. so they can have like a superhero fight the captain amazing captain amazing fight yes. <laughs> he lets he lets out casanova frankenstein what about death man death man is dead <laughs> such a good movie god um we go back over to starlight who's texting huey from a burner phone um in comes a train to i believe kind of like her private quarters right it was like her room yeah um no one one keeps a train out of anywhere like he just goes where he pleases right um (laughs) and he snags the uh the compound v out of her boot super Um, easy like well i got it now they get into it it a bit a train is just like well i'm gonna fucking turn you in and they're gonna fucking melt your face off and starlight i love this look that she has just before she starts saying stuff like, there's like a click oh like, it's like a yeah. switch it's like all right no fuck you first off uh she takes zero fucking shit from him and brings up all of the forensic evidence i guess from pop claw's death the fact that the only person that could have killed her with fucking 98 fucking heroin injections so quick and so fast that it fucking broke bones was you dickhead um and she knows this because he basically came clean to Huey in the last season yeah. when like, he was he was about to have a cardiac arrest and he was just like, no, man, you didn't kill her. I did. Um, so like she she knows that it's totally his fault and she can sell it to whoever, whoever, you know, they come come whoever comes to like get her. She can just be like, uh, well, look at this guy. So it's mutually assured destruction all the way down. Yeah. And it really I mean, logistically, it doesn't make sense for a train to not turn it over. Uh, he turns it over. She turns him into they both fucking get nuked. Um, might as well roll the yeah. dice. Yeah, they both got dirt on each other. The only way through is, you know, keeping a keeping a cold war of sorts. Yep. Um, back over once again to Kamiko and Kenji talking about kind of what to do next. Um Unfortunately, it seems like Kenji has drank the Shining Light Liberation Front Kool-Aid. Um, and they so he is a terrorist, as it turns so, out. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, you know what? But uh, a stop clock gets it right twice a day, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and Kimiko obviously doesn't, you know, take this super well. The Shining Light Liberation Front killed their parents, put them in the position that they were in. Um, and as brainwashed as potentially he could be, Kenji does bring up some good points that... Their fucking city's not there anymore. The reason this conversation comes up is she's like, well, we can go back to home. We can go back to the village. He's like, it's not, it's not there. I think it's alluded that um, Homelander fucking 
destroyed the place. It yeah, could have been basically said that a guy comes down from the sky and blasts things with lasers and yeah. kills everybody. Um, so I mean, yeah, he does like sign his name on all of his like atrocities, doesn't he? Like yeah. every he just always kills him with lasers, like as though forensics isn't going to look at Madeline's skull and be like, yeah, this happened with lasers, guys, <laughs> you know, I mean, thankfully for yeah. Homelander. Butcher still pressed the button and blew it all fucking up anyway. So <laughs> not his best move. Uh, so Kamiko and Kenji get into a fight over this. Um, she's cool fight. A, a really mm-hmm. fucking rad fight. Uh, Kenji throws her kind of away a little bit and fucking takes off. Uh, Kamiko chases after. Uh, Kenji stops. Does kind of a really cool smasher in through the side of an apartment building. It looked great. It looked really fucking cool. She took Special out a lot more of it than so I certainly would have show. expected it to. Um, they do a good job of like managing to keep the super heroics grounded and yet still giving us good special effects in that grounded state. Like yeah, they're not sure. cons- they're not consistently like doing crazy explosions, laser blasts, lightning shots. But like when they when they do it it actually looks appropriate. Yeah. So it, it's not saturated. It's not like George Lucas special effects syndrome here. They're used tactically. <laughs> right. Uh, we just need more Banthas in the scene, bud. That's all. Just put more Banthas in my garage. <laughs> um, so. Kamiko does her super move, which is uh, a sleeper hold. And he goes goes right to sleep like immediately. I get the feeling like she's done that before in their childhood. Like they just practice this shit on each other for fun. She's really strong. I assumed that (laughs) he was faking falling asleep in the sleeper hold. Like it was abnormally quick. I felt like you can't have things slow down that much. Right. They can't have it, you know, showing it for the three or four actual minutes it would take. Right. Boring. This is supposed to be grounded. We just talked about how grounded this was. We needed four minutes of him struggling there, being like, Ugh! until he, you know, took a nap <laughs> or, or whatever. At, or at least leave it in the gutter, like pan away and then pan back. Yeah. <laughs> Two hours later. Two hours late, Dale. Um. Thankfully, a van pulls up. Guess what? It's the boys. Hey, you know, they got that red tan van. The uh, they just fucking load Kenji into the van. And that's it. There's kind of this moment where um, Huey is a little standoffish. And you kind of don't know if he's going to get into the van with him or if he's going to take off and do his own thing. But he does kind of assume his previous role and puts his head down and gets in the van. Mm. What do we think about the shining light at this point? Is there any redemption for them? Are they really a terrorist organization or are they just trying to fight back against America? Unfortunately, you know, using what they have, which was what little compound V they had to try to create something to be able to uh, retaliate. I didn't like give two thoughts about the shining light thing while watching the show until we were talking about it. And it's like, I really hope this becomes more than just a throwaway name in the backstory for Kimiko and and Kenji. Because it seems like it'd be something really cool. It's kind of like a whole nother group of the boys obviously not associated with them at all, but in another country that are kind of doing the same thing and kind of against Vought. And then so Homelander shows up and kills everybody. Yeah. Like, Mm. Um, you know, I I think I kind of disagree. I think I hope that it's the opposite. I hope that it is just kind of a faceless village that got torched and, and happened to, um, you know, I, I kind of hope that shining lights place is largely just, this is yet another facet of how Vought has destroyed 
civilian lives. Uh, this one happens to be Kimiko and Kenji's, and they are casualties of a war that they had no place in, nor did they buy into it, but they're in it now, and they have to come up with some purpose out of that. That reads a little better to me. I wouldn't be Same. dissatisfied with more of a purpose to Shining Light, but I like them as as sort of a as a, as a blip of just like, oh, for Vought, it was Tuesday. You know, like they didn't give two thoughts right, about the yeah. Shining Light other than as a stage for Homelander to stage a victory and somehow to, you know, potentially create soup terrorists to fight against. I I, I like it both ways as well. I, I was hoping for a little bit more. Um where I could certainly see the Shining Light Liberation Front as or Army as uh, another symptom of a void, kind of like you were saying Homelander was to a certain extent. Um, I could also see them just being really straightforward. And this is a terrorist organization and they use propaganda. Maybe Homelander never even came and destroyed the village. Maybe it was just. Right. We have their, one person. Propaganda. Yeah, we we don't have a lot to go off of here. Um, I feel like in the realm of the show being. Like we talked about being more kind of grounded. I don't see the boys interacting with this group much. Like I don't see them going across the world or anything like that. Just because I think it's we're going to stay kind of in one place for the right. most part. Um, it makes sense for there to be other international players involved. Like I, like I would that. be surprised if Russia didn't get the compound in some form or another and start pumping out whoever. Because that, that also... Russia does play somewhat in the comics for that purpose as well as like a counterpoint of these are other people who value soups as a economic powerhouse like Vought does. Um, they're not the only game in town. So right. maybe the Shining Light has something to do with that. Maybe they're a wing of a different nation who is sort of basking in the reflected light. One thing I forgot to mention uh, before Huey reaffirms his role as as bottom bitch butcher just fucking sucker punches him right in the face uh and says if you ever come between me and my lady again i'll fucking kill you which i mean we know why butcher does what he does and single single-minded purpose yep so that that fits where do we see this going with huey because he certainly seems like he doesn't want to be in that role anymore with the bottom bitch role yeah the bottom bitch role well, he's been fighting it, right? He's uh, he's been trying to assert control over the group when Butcher wasn't around. I don't think that impulse is entirely gone. He fucks around with Butcher when he was trying to pull the trigger. He, he disagrees with his leadership. A lot of the group does as well. I think that The Boys has primarily been, from the beginning, a, a story about regular people who are have things taken away from them by the people in power. Yeah, people who can people who they consider ants. You know. Mm. Um, and and that has happened to Huey. He has had things taken away from him. He wants to get back at them. He wants to be a pebble in Vought's shoe. Um, so I think that at the core of it, we're going to see him continue to evolve, continue to, uh, you know, weirdly become an expert blackmailer and in, infiltrator and maybe even a leader. Like, I wouldn't be dissatisfied if he continues to evolve into this persona. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I can see that. And that's kind of what Vought does. It's turned Starlight into someone that never would have, you know, been doing yeah. the things that she is doing. But sometimes you have to fight. But they all they both also can keep their moral core, which I also yes. think is important. Right. He, like uh, Huey is more or less a morality pet for Butcher for some of this. Um, and I yeah. like the fact that, that he continues to be that. So I hope it's both, you know. Well, and, and cop maybe, out. Maybe very much like that Maeve is 
Starlight on our current path in a long enough timeline, maybe Butcher is the same thing for Huey. I like that as well. That's a good, yeah. So, I mean, he could at some point lose his morality as well and become kind of singly focused and start, and move start talking forward. cockney <laughs> right and uh start bollocksing people um yep dumb birds <laughs> but yeah the beginning season one i thought they were having hubie going on a track to become like a super villain kind of thing oh. not with powers but like a lex luthor kind of thing but i don't i don't see it really going that way anymore like he's just trying to survive basically at this point and bring vaught down well, and yeah, I mean, he's actually still trying to do the noble thing, which is this company is very bad. We need to expose them. He's not trying right. to kill Homelander. He's not trying to make sure people lose a source of income. These, these people need to be exposed. They're doing something wrong. And we'll see if that continues or not. But I could see it going either way. Yeah. I could certainly see him becoming a Lex Luthor person at some point. Something continuing to happen. Not that he has much left to lose, but something were to happen to Starlight. I think that's kind of his last thread to humanity right now seems like it for sure and i think losing her could... like it they are also kind of developing a a communal relationship this friendship bit like yeah i feel i feel like his his relationship with uh with frenchie and with mm um are developing somewhat you know yeah frenchie's got that real cute nickname for him petite huey which <laughs> uh comic point they call him that in the comics because he's based off of simon Pegg, so he's shorter and then in the first season, they call it out like, why are you calling me that? I'm like, five, nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's it for episode two. Thanks for joining us again. It was a little shorter, at least. So hopefully it was a little <laughs> bit easier to stay engaged. Once again, check out Ben on the Carpetoncast, FancyBat.com. Check out Dan at Grim Podcast, A Perilous Adventure, and Big Fiction Energy or DanColeAuthor.com. Check out all of the other stuff on the Professional Casual Network. Uh, let us know what you thought about this. This is certainly a, a new format for us. If there's things you like, didn't like, shoot us a line. Uh, you can find us at Top Tier Casual on Twitter, The Professional Casual on Instagram, or Facebook.com slash Professional Casual. You can always check us out at ProfessionalCasual.com as well. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week for Episode 3, Over the Hill with Swords to a Thousand Man. Of a Thousand Men. Of a thousand men. Man, <laughs> not good at this. All right, bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Why don't you go and check out all the other great shows that the Professional Casual Network has to offer, including season one of The Space Between Presents I Saw a Tiger, which follows the Netflix smash series Tiger King and details the acid-washed antics of Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin, Jeff Lowe, as well as others. This season, we're taking a deep, dark dive into the four-part Netflix docuseries Jeffrey Epstein Filthy Rich. Big Fiction Energy is our audio drama pod in which Tim, Danny, and myself tell the story of Lanny, the Girl Without Fear, a fantasy novel by Dan. A grim podcast of perilous adventure is the Professional Casual Network's Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Actual Play podcast. We're playing through The Enemy Within, which is widely considered one of the best campaigns of any RPG. Join Dan as the GM as Danny, Tim, Alexander P. Nelson, and JB try to survive the perils of the old world. And if you needed more deep dives, also check out The Space Between, which is a discussion and review of the best games, comics, and nerd movies of today and yesteryear. We also have Elite Eight Showdown with high-octane host Big Chuck and his research team. Join him while he financially ruins his partner Tim and completes an eight-team tournament bracket that could be about anything and everything. Lastly, we have Professionally Asked, Casually Answered, a totally real, totally fake advice show where we take questions and topics from you, 
our listeners, and do our best not to completely ruin your lives. Danny, where could people follow us or ask us questions for Professionally Asked, Casually Answered? I'm so glad you asked that, Tim. You can go ahead and email us questions. Our email address is theprofessionalcasual at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Instagram at theprofessionalcasual. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash professionalcasual. Twitter, we're at top tier casual. Our website is theprofessionalcasual.com. On Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash professionalcasual. And you can also check out Lindsay's Instagram at lindsayfphotography, where you can check out all of her great photos of abandoned places and events. What are some other things that people could find on our Patreon, Danny? They can find Sarah's doodles. They can find different vlogs. They can find lots of polls. I know Big Chuck's got a ton of stuff up there. It's all just a wild time. Extra bonus content, all of those things. 